Corn, oh, was hanging on by a thread to early gains this morning. Beans and wheat are higher. Uh, hogs look pretty good right now. Cattle under some pressure. Could be some corrective selling there. This morning, we'll turn our attention to South America. And actually, before we get to that, I'm getting the feeling spring. It just might be spring now. I don't know if that's a thing or not. I've got a guy. I'll ask him. Live from Monday's Tuesday via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Brett Waltz from BAM WX. Then it's Dr. Michael Cordonier and directly following the news, Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. I'm in for Chip today. It's me, your outstanding broadcast professional, Davis Michelson. Welcome to AgriTalk, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So glad to be here. So glad you're here with us. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, it's me, the handsome newsman. Uh, word is... And I don't have many details on this. I know. I'm a news guy. I should have the details. I don't. I say details instead of details so I sound fancy. This way you're distracted by the fact that I don't have the details. But word is Chip got involved with a puppy that was stuck down a well at some point. Um, the onlookers noted Chip reportedly very bravely, heroically even, lowered himself down into the well. They got the puppy out. Um, now they got to figure out how to get Chip out. I'm sure he'll be fine. You know what? If we find out more as uh, as details details become available, we'll let you know. Um, Chip will be fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, I've got a great show this morning. Um, I do want to talk about the weather. And I was being a little bit silly. The the the, the Murphy's Law view, the pessimist's view, which I don't I don't know if I if I can accept coming from the eternal optimist, which is the American farmer. The view is, yeah, there's going to be another snowstorm. We're going to get smacked again by wintertime. Gang, it's February 20. Um, there are some indicators in my own life that I look for from one year to the next to know that it's spring. And I've gotten the green light from one of those indicators. I'll talk about what it is. I'll mention it to Brett Waltz from BAM WX. You know, he's he's an actual qualified, trained uh, meteorologist, climatologist. He's a weather guy. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. And yet, I feel like there might be something to the indications that I look for each spring. We'll see if he agrees. And then, uh, then we're going to fly south of the equator with Dr. Michael Cordonier from Soybean and Corn Advisor. Uh, just get a get an update on what's going on down there in South America. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> What do we need to be thinking about there? It sounds like harvest uh, results are not as rosy as some had once feared. An interesting conversation coming up with uh, Dr. C. And, of course, Karen Bonert on the other side of this weather, which begins with the National Weather Service outlook. Heavy rain and heavy mountain snow in California expected to become less intense. There's a moderate risk of excessive rainfall in effect along portions of coastal Southern California today. A warming trend expected to expand from the Great Plains into the Midwest through midweek. It was chilly over the weekend. Um, I kind of feel like we're already in a warming trend and have been for, for some time now. So, uh, I mean, do we get warmer from here? I don't know. Again, we got Brett Waltz coming up. He's, he's going to make all of this clear for us. In other news, House Ag leaders, despite their continued warring, hinted at a recent hearing that there may still be a way to achieve an 11th hour breakthrough on the farm bill. 
It was a barely noticeable hint amid all the verbal arrows he fired, but top ag Democrat David Scott suggested a way forward for the farm bill without GOP-proposed cuts to SNAP. That's, of course, a top Democratic priority. Uh, Mr. Scott had this to say. Because the economy has improved, benefits and need for the program has decreased. The CBO is now expecting SNAP to cost $67 billion less over the next decade than originally expected. So I think what he's saying here is because of improvements in economy in the economy here in the U.S. and increased affordability, that the demand for SNAP dollars will be lower. I don't. I don't know. We may need to get Weissmeyer in on this if uh, if this goes any further. Um, in other news, South American crop consultant Dr. Michael Cordonier, who will be on in just a little bit, cut his Brazilian soybean crop estimate another two million metric tons. He left his Brazilian corn crop forecast at 112 million metric tons unchanged. Uh, given generally favorable near-term weather forecasts, Cordonier left his Argentine crop estimates uh, at 50 million metric tons for soybeans and 54 million metric tons for corn. An in-depth conversation with Dr. C coming up. Brazil's soybean harvest advanced to 32% complete as of last Thursday. This according to Ag Rural. That was eight percentage points ahead of last year at that point. Safrina corn planting jumped to 59% done, the fastest on record for Ag Rural's historical data which began in 2013. Almost 80% of companies in the S&P 500 have reported quarterly results, with 75% reporting earnings above estimates, according to data compiled by FactSet. Meanwhile, Goldman Sachs strategists led by David Costin have revised their year-end target for the S&P 500 upwards for the second time in about three months. Can the stock market continue to rally, just go higher and higher and higher? Uh, like a yo-yo on an escalator, I suppose, my friends. And finally here, the U.N. Security Council is set to vote on a resolution demanding an immediate ceasefire in Gaza today. But the United States said it would veto that measure because it's trying to arrange a deal on its own. Um, we're not really all that great at making deals and passing bills in Congress and stuff. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. Um you know what? Let's bring in Karen Bonert right now from Farm Journal's Milk. Good morning, Karen. It's great to have you with us here on AgriTalk. Good morning, Davis. How are you? Really, really good. Um, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with technology, but if I'm being honest, sometimes it, it just I just need to <laughs> admit that technology can really help us out. Karen, what do you got? Well, I agree with you. It can be love and hate, but for dairies, it's a lot of love. And so much has been done, Davis, with our mature herd on technology, um, but really more can be done with calves. Calves often get overlooked because they're away from the main part of the dairy, where the parlor and the office and the cows are at. But adding technology can help overcome that barrier. Um, I interviewed a, a manager at Casablanca Calf Ranch in Central California. They have 6,500 calves. He says 95% of his time, he's working outside with employees and calves since they started incorporating technology with the calves. Before that, half his time was in the office doing computer work. And the really cool thing about technology is it helps in numerous ways. Uh, just it helps keep inventory straight as each time that animals moved, scans are incurring, uh, just keeping inventories accurate. But one thing I thought was super interesting is it can help determine the effectiveness, if you will, of protocols and treatments. 
for example, when calves are scanned and say they have an illness such as pink eye, it's recording that. And then that manager or the owner can look at what percentage of pink eyes are in the herd now versus a year ago. And if vaccines were switched, they can really understand that that return on investment and if it was more or less effective. So it's understanding the true benefit. I was told it's really about keeping it simple. And I think when you add technology, um, it can help just over uh, increase that productivity, if you will, with animals, but also with our time. It's something I think producers probably are doing more, more and more looking into, but especially with that youngest member of our farm. Terrific. Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. We'll keep an eye on these technologies. You know, it'd be great if they would make our lives easier, and one one day we'll get it figured <laughs> out. Karen Bonert, Farm Journal's Milk. Thanks, David. You bet. You bet. I've got Brett Waltz from BAM WX coming up next to talk about the weather, whether you like it or not. I'm going to start with this. Rhubarb springs eternal. What could he mean by that on AgriTalk? At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Knowledge is power. We're here to charge your batteries. Agritalk. My uh, CB name back when I was just a child was the Blue Goose. I'm not sure where it came from or why. I do like the color blue. I don't know. So, uh, your pal, the Blue Goose, coming at you here on AgriTalk this morning. Really glad you're here with us. Okay, you caught me in a lie. Uh, Chip was not rescuing puppies. Um, the truth is he he did get a callback from the Astronaut Academy, and he's been just waiting on this callback for years now. If you're a longtime listener, you know he's been trying to, to get into the Astronaut Academy, and they reached out to him, so I don't know. I don't know what's if there's perhaps more screening to be done here. In the meantime, we got to keep the show going. We can't just stop. To that end, I've got Brett Waltz from BAM WX to uh, have a little discussion this morning. Good morning, Mr. Waltz. How's everything? Uh, good morning. Good morning. It's great. Um, now, uh, I want to make sure that we get this in. We'll talk about it more later on in this segment here. But um, you folks do have a free planting season webinar coming up on Tuesday, February 28th. That's a, that's a week from tomorrow. Uh, BAMWX.com slash webinar. Um, y'all folks might be interested in that. They do it every year. It's it's a, a great webinar, uh, the free planting season webinar, webinar. And then there's also a promotion for new ag, ag subscriptions that we'll talk about later on in the show for some more details. But right now, sure. Brett, um, every year, I, I, I'm a good Midwestern boy. I watch for the rhubarb. <laughs> I know that it's really, really spring uh, when, when the rhubarb emerges now. Uh, up in Grundy County, Iowa, which is where I grew up, uh, you, I observed usually somewhere between March 8 and March 12. I'd start mm-hmm. to see it sort of poking up, breaking ground through. I'm a little further south now. I've I've moved to Kansas City, but I brought my rhubarb with me. <laughs> and I got to tell you, brother, uh, it was yesterday, and I noticed those little wow. suckers poking through the dirt. So here we are, February 20, rhubarb springs eternal in Kansas City, is it a false spring, Brett? 
You know, I really don't think that it is. Um, it, it is going to be very mild for the most part over the next couple of weeks. You're always going to get those cold fronts in there. But I mean, to be honest, out through the, the first week of March, it just looks more like spring than it does like winter. Um, and, and I think that a lot of people are going to get itching to get out into the fields early this year just because of how warm it's going to be to start out the month. And it sounds like they may have the opportunity. Um, you know, we always we always bother you and our, our other weather friends about the uh, first frost date. Would you care to weigh in on the last <laughs> frost date? <laughs> yeah, you know, it is it is kind of interesting this year because I do think spring starts out on a mild note. Okay. But, I, you know, I'm keeping an eye on April. Recent Aprils have been a little bit colder in general. And some of the analog supports from some of the El Nino years do have uh, – even though it can be a mild start to spring, do have more of a normal to even slightly later than normal frost, more more into, you know, the middle parts of April. And then I was looking at last freeze, you know, up in parts of the far northern plains. Uh, there were a couple of years, 2016 is one, for example, that had a freeze in the, in the Dakotas all the way into early May. And so uh, I, I don't think that even though it can be a milder pattern overall, I wouldn't be super excited about a super super early last frost and freeze okay fair enough fair enough um you know i grew up on a farm uh, i know that the the common knowledge out there the 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 folksy knowledge is that we have there's got to be another dust up here yet from winter another snowstorm another blizzard mm -hmm. maybe just another cold snap here now i'm wondering I mean, this is it's a it's sort of a weird winter for us. Does that yeah. in increase the potential? I mean, the factors that make this a weird winter do they necessarily lever for increased weather volatility in the next what month or two? I don't think substantially, um, okay. but I do think if I'm looking out into the Pacific, because sometimes we can get an idea of what's to come by looking what's going on in East Asia or or in Alaska. Even I I do think that if I had to target a time frame where there could be some, you know, maybe a last hurrah of wintry mischief. I'd be kind of looking the 6th to the 10th or so of March. Okay. Um, I, I think the plains especially could get a little bit colder. And when you get warm east and get a, a colder kind of western plains look, that's when you can get those sneaky late season storms that can produce winter weather uh, across parts of the Midwest. And so that time frame there, I would be on the lookout for. Uh, but just signals into late March, the second half of the month, I think can warm back up. So winter's not completely over, but it doesn't have a whole lot more in the tank right now. Okay. Okay, great. Oh, winter, where is thy sting, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. I'm a little bit concerned about uh, soil moisture. Now, we were we were dry mm -hmm. going into winter down here in uh, in northwestern Missouri. And I and I did observe, as I was looking at my, my rhubarb, delicately emerging from the it's awful dry out here um, yeah. i wished we'd gotten a little bit more snow to to re replenish some soil moisture broadly generally how's soil moisture looking yeah you know it, we definitely could use the moisture uh, especially i would say from where you're at into the eastern ag belt because the snow has just not been there mm -hmm. um consistently enough to really replenish the the moisture like you said 
you know, I, I think that March holds the potential, especially the first half of March, to be more active, to okay. be the most active month of spring. But I am concerned that the further we work into spring, uh, especially the further east you go in the ag belt, there can be drier risks. Um, based off our research, based on like a year like 2016, that's going to be one that pops up a bunch. It was drier the back half of spring before things kind of recovered later into the growing season. And so I, I do think that there is some concern here. I think it's really critical the next two to four weeks that we cash in on some moisture uh, with a pattern that I think can be a little more active. What mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has has the weather that we're observing now got anything to do with the El Nino La Nina sort of flip that we had been looking for? Are the are the Ninos involved here at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, in fact, I would say that the late February, early March pattern is almost identical to the one that we had in our last Super Nino, which was again 2016. And so there are a lot of similarities to years right now that had a stronger El Nino state in the month of February and into March. And I think that that is going to be the number one biggest factor to watch as we work throughout the rest of the spring and into the growing season, because, you know, how fast we get into that La Nina state can help determine how dry the back half of spring could end up getting. Okay. Okay. I do want to uh, leave you some time to pitch the uh, webinar and the promotion, but I we should talk about South American weather just a sure. little bit. Uh, yeah. Word is once the rainy season shuts off, many suspect that it's really going to shut off hard. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, I think that the next two to four weeks, let's start in Argentina. You know, I think it bears watching. There's some scattered rains over the next five days. But for the most part, the forecast ahead there is largely dry. And it's been trending drier in, into a crucial time of their growing season and and just kind of again i'm going to mention 2016 it's our top year right now it trended very dry in argentina um into the month of march and and so i I definitely think that that's a concern and then you go up into brazil there's some timely rains the next week or so but as we go into march once again that's another uh, another signal that it could be a little bit drier and warmer so i I agree with your your sentiment there that it, it can certainly end uh, quickly in terms of moisture as we work into the uh, March and April time frame. Well, and always to keep, important to keep in mind, too, we're talking about an incredibly vast amount of uh, of territory when we're talking about yeah. Argentina yeah. and Brazil, and we saw variability from one end of the of that you know chunk of ground to the other, uh, and I, I reckon we can expect that to continue. Yeah, you know, I, I think a bit for sure. Um, I, again, I, I think that southern Brazil, that's an area that hasn't been or that had rains, especially early on in the season. That's maybe an area that's not going to be uh, quite as hot and dry. Uh, but I, I think, again, the, the central portion of, of Brazil there and then especially northern Argentina, that those are going to be the areas to watch. Uh, OK, excellent. That sounds great. Um, let's talk about that free planting season webinar sure. coming up uh, a week from tomorrow, Feb 28. BAMWX.com slash webinar is where you can get there. Give us the plug, baby. Yeah, so that's going to be great because we're going to go over a lot of what we talked about this morning, but in more detail in terms mm-hmm. of how exactly things evolve late in the growing late in the planting season and then into the growing season where the issues are going to be and severe weather chances too. I think that we could potentially see an uptick in that uh, as early as the end of February and into March could be a fast start to severe weather season. Um, 
And you've also got a promotion here uh, for new ag subscriptions that inquire between now and that webinar. So they've got a week to yeah. take advantage of, of this here as well. Yeah, for sure. 20% off for, for new ag uh, subscribers over the next nine or so days. Um, they can inquire at bamwx.com slash ag dash demo, or they can click on the pop up uh, that pops up on our website. More than happy to, to help them out as we kind of kick off the season. If folks are looking to budget their time, how, how long does that, that uh, webinar generally run? You know, it generally runs, I would say, 30 to 40 minutes. But if they can't catch it live, we will send them the recording. Outstanding. Brett Waltz, thanks for talking some weather with us this morning from BAMWX. We appreciate you, buddy. Yep, thank you. That was Brett Waltz from BAMWX. Once again, free planting season webinar Wednesday, February 28. Go to BAMWX.com slash webinar, BAMWX.com slash webinar. Hurry up, and you can save yourself 20%. Uh, you know what? We're going to talk some markets, and then coming up on the other side, we are going to go deep into South America. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Time for Markets Now with the experts from Pro Farmer. And joining us now, Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady. Brian, I checked the markets this morning at the open. It looked like corn wanted to, uh, I mean, it's already given back a nickel. It wanted to go up, and now we're we're back beneath unchanged here. What's going on? Yeah, so we traded higher overnight uh, and early in the daytime session, like you mentioned, Davis. But, uh, boy, just no sustained buyer interest at all. Um, that's despite a, a daily corn sale to Japan this morning. And so there's some fundamental reasons uh, um, that corn probably should be trading to the upside. But, man, we just cannot get any kind of traction whatsoever uh, in terms of buyer interest in that market. And, and uh, trading about a penny lower here at mid-morning. Uh, soybeans, soy meal, they, they continue to trade to the upside, but they backed off of their highs and, and well off of their earlier highs, especially in the soybean market. We did have a daily meal sell this morning to the Philippines, and, and so that's helping to provide some support there. But uh, soy oils turned to the downside and posted moderate gains at, at mid-morning. So we're seeing quite a bit of spreading activity within the soy complex. And then wheat, uh, the winter wheat markets, they're still posting pretty solid gains here at mid-morning, being led by HRW contracts spring weight futures uh it's been more of a struggle to find buyer interest in that market now the hogs look pretty stout from the jump but uh the cattle have turned decidedly higher as well as corn looks lower yeah so feeder cattle uh they're they're posting moderate to strong gains here at mid-morning because like you mentioned the uh the corn market's under some pressure and uh so that's given that market a boost live cattle futures uh they started out with a uh, mixed tone and really quiet action they've firmed a little bit here still quiet action but uh, at least trading to the upside with a milder tone there and uh, the hog market uh being supported by the continued gains seasonal gains in the cash index outstanding that's pro farmer editor brian grady on Markets Now. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors.
Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Joining me now, Dr. Michael Cordonier from Soybean and Corn Advisor. Dr. Cordonier, good morning. Uh, welcome to AgriTalk. Thanks for being with us today. Always my pleasure. Let's begin with sort of a general overview of uh, the situation down in South America. Just just give us a, a broad view on the corn and soybean crops. How's it going down there? Okay, well, in Brazil, you know, the soybeans right now are 32% harvested nationwide, and the big state, Mato Grosso, is 65%. Now, they started off okay in September, uh, but October, November, very hot, very dry, and all the early maturing soybeans, very low yielding, uh, unbelievably low. A lot of farmers are saying it's the worst they've ever seen for early maturing soybeans. And I would say early maturing are about maybe 40% of the soybeans. And right now, we're getting close to some final yields uh, in Mato Grosso and Paraná, which are the two biggest states for soybeans. And the yields are running about 10 bushels below expectation, or maybe 10 to 20%, depending on where you're at. So the early yields were really bad. We're talking maybe 10 to 35 bushels per acre. And we have been waiting until the later maturities to see if they were good enough to compensate for the early ones, and they're not. So the the whole the whole thing in Brazil is very very disappointing for soybeans. Now the Safinha corn, you know they're 59% planted now. Last year was 40%, and the planting is fast because the soybean harvest is fast, mm-hmm. and also because they're going to plant less Safinha corn, so the percent planted. You know, accelerates if you're going to plant less. And this conversation happening today, February 20th, mm-hmm. today is the last day of the ideal planting window for Safinha corn in central Brazil. So there's going to be about 25 to 30% of the corn planted after the window closes. Now, later you plant your corn, the greater the risk of lower yield. I think that's even accelerated this year because a lot of meteorologists in Brazil are forecasting a rapid end to the summer rainy season starting in April. So if you plant your corn in March and the rain starts to taper off in April, uh, then you may have some problems with your safinha corn. So I think that safinha corn production uh, is yet to be determined. Now for the soybeans, in fact, I just lowered the soybeans for Brazil 2 million tons today to 145 and have a neutral to lower bias. So that number, I think, might go a little bit lower. And for corn, kind of remains to be seen. Dr. C., can you talk to us about soil moisture and replenishment a little bit before we go too much further? Um, when I think of when I think of the term rainy season, I, I get these images of sort of monsoons and just these huge gushing uh, rainstorms, uh, and then suddenly it's no longer monsoon season, and, and now we're we're dry again. Um, what has the season been like this year as far as uh, replacing some of that soil moisture? Well, it started off good in, Octo- in September, uh, but October, November, extremely hot, extremely okay. dry. So everything got really, really dry. And then it got a little bit better uh, in January, and now we're getting kind of on the dry side again. Mm-hmm. Now, I track the moisture in a city called Arananopolis in southeastern Monte Grosso. I track it very closely. 
and they're running about 60% of the normal rainfall uh, thus far during the rainy season. Okay. So they they get the first rains in September, the rainy season peaks in January, and then it ends by April or May. So we're already on the downhill side for the rainy mm-hmm. season. And uh, and they it just was never as good as what they normally have. Right. You know, and back in October, November, those temperatures were unbelievable. They were 105, 110 degrees, which is, you know, Brazil's hot, it's tropical. But when the rains start, the temperatures start to go down. So to have that, those kind of temperatures in October, November, when the early maturing soybeans were filling pods, was just really, really extreme. And the soils don't hold water very well in central Brazil. So you get to moisture stress very quick, especially under those type of temperatures. And that's what happened this year for the early maturing soybeans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, a, what, what about farmers selling there? Let's, let's, let's focus in on that, that first crop Brazilian corn. Uh, what about farmers selling there? Is it coming to market? Okay, the first crop of corn, uh, they're about 35% harvested right now. Oh, okay. And all that first crop of corn is in southern Brazil. Okay. Now, the soybeans, farmers are very slow sellers. Mm. Everybody's holding on. Prices are very low, below the cost of production in many areas. And all the advisory firms in Brazil are telling farmers, don't sell, don't sell, don't sell. Really? Uh-huh. Wait for better prices. And in fact, in the states of uh, Goiás and parts of Mato Grosso, they have declared a state of emergency because of the low yields and low soybean prices. Now, the reason they do that is because then a farmer can go to the bank and say, listen, we're in a state of emergency. I have to renegotiate my production loans. Or he goes to the grain companies, the Cargill and the Bungies of the world, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. says, I can't fulfill my forward contract. So we have to renegotiate uh, the deals of our contract. So that's basically why that state of emergency is declared it gives the farmers, you know, a justification for renegotiating. But mm-hmm. generally, they're very slow sellers. And for the corn that they will harvest starting in June, uh, even slower. So everybody is waiting for a better price. And I don't yeah. know if that's yeah. going to come or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, here in the U.S., we have the uh, the advantage of the infrastructure that allows farmers to uh, store and ignore for a little bit, run some run a few loads into town and whatnot. They don't have that same luxury down there, do they? No. In Brazil, about 15% of the storage is on farm, and the rest is at the grain elevator or the co-op. Okay. And a lot of farmers just don't have that option. Yeah. Now, the government has been trying for years to build more on-farm storage, but it's been a very slow process. The farmers say, my interest rates are too high, I don't have the funds to do it, that sort of thing. So they're at the mercy of the market, sure. and you know they got to sell at harvest time. And if they store, it's uh, expensive. So they don't well, have the option to have that. in the United States. They're not just going to the, the government isn't going to just store that for free, is it? No, but I bet what's going to happen is the government will give out more um, like subsidized loans for okay. what they call commercialization of the crop which helps you pay for storage and helps you hold it longer until hopefully the prices improve. Mm-hmm. So the government 
probably will come up with a program to help farmers know with that storage problem. Okay. Okay. Um, bring me back to the Safrina crop here. I'm, I'm looking at some stuff that you wrote this morning, or at least that we're, that we've got from you this morning. The Safrina, Safrina crop off to a mostly favorable start, like we said, but acreage will be down from a year ago. Is that, is that because of the, the ideal planting window? What's, what's the story with the, the, the decrease uh, okay, in the Safrina gonna, acreage? It's going to be down for uh, two reasons. Okay. The first reason is low prices. Uh, the price of corn in central Brazil right now below the cost of production. Mm-hmm. That's the big problem. And the second problem is the, the soybeans, a lot of soybeans had to be replanted because of the dryness in October, November. And those replanted beans are very late, and it's going to make planting the safrinha corn late as well. Now, it's not as late as what we thought a couple of months ago. And like I said, they're already 59% planted, so that's like ahead of average. So that's good. But the prices aren't any better. So I still think the Safrinia acres are going to be down. And if you don't plant Safrinia corn, what do you plant? You might plant grain sorghum or cotton or maybe wheat in places like Paraná or, or sunflowers, some alternative crop, or a cover crop. Now, a lot of farmers said, I'm just not going to plant corn. I'm going to lose money if I do. So I'm just going to plant a cover crop, which is generally a, a grassy uh, like a pasture grass, mm-hmm. just as a cover crop to hold the soil moisture and that sort of thing. So the acreage for the softening corn will be down, just a matter of how much. Okay. There's been a lot of talk uh, and accusations have flown about uh, some deforestation efforts to expand crop acreage. How how big of a, of a uh, I don't know, threat? Is that the right word? Uh, how commonplace is that? For expanding the acreage? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's uh, most of the acreage expansion in Brazil comes from the conversion of degraded pastures to row crops. Okay. And the government has been promoting this for a long time. They say, take that pasture, plow it up, put on lime, raise the pH, put on P and K, and then plant a row crop, soybeans, followed by corn. Do that for three or four years. And then you can take some of that, put it back into pasture, and put in a new species of grass, not a, not what your grandfather planted, you know, 75 years ago. Right. And then you'll get more cows produced on fewer acres with this better fertility and better pasture, and you get row crops. So that's where most of the expansion is occurring uh, okay. for soybean production in Brazil. Now, they are clearing some new lands in northeastern Brazil as well. So that's kind of coming into production but that is the small part. Uh, the biggest expansion is coming from conversion of pastures. And I just read an article yesterday in Brazil. There are millions of acres of degraded pastures that can be brought into production. Millions. Mm. So I think the soybean expansion is going to continue for the rest mm. of our lifetimes, basically, yeah. Yeah. in Brazil, as long as the prices are good enough you know, sure. to justify expansion. Sure. Dr. Cordonier, you've been very generous with your time. I'm going to cut you loose with that. That's Dr. Michael Cordonier from Soybean and Corn Advisor. Stick around for more AgriTalk. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. 
With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Your pal Davis Michelson here behind the big green leafy microphone. So glad to be here with you. Hope your week is off to a good start. Yesterday was President's Day. So now I guess this is what we have for a Monday I'm not really sure how they score that. Uh feels like a great day, though. I'm looking forward to it. Sun is shining outside here. I hope it is where you are as well. Um, yeah, Chip is out. He'll uh, he'll be back soon. I'll just leave it at that. Don't worry about it. Everything's all right. Um, I do have some details. There we go with the details again. I have some details on some of those daily sales that Brian Grady was talking about. At the bottom of the hour there in his market hit, I've got 155,000 metric tons of corn for delivery to Japan. That's for the 24-25 marketing year. And then I've got 228,000 metric tons of soybean meal for delivery to the Philippines during the uh, 23-24 marketing year. Both of these traditional buyers, Philippines have been in for meal and soybean cake and all sorts of stuff. Um, good to see them back here making some purchases of uh, U.S. U.S. goods. A few other stories we didn't get to earlier this morning. There's an awful lot going on. This one is interesting to me. And these are sort of some items that I'm hoping we can get some perspective on throughout the week. Um, you'll see what I mean here. Uh, let's start with this. The Biden administration is poised to announce an adjustment to its scientific modeling for ethanol. You with me so far? The administration is going to make an adjustment to the scientific modeling for ethanol that will show the corn-based fuel to be less effective at reducing greenhouse gas emissions than previously estimated. The adjustment will make it more difficult for ethanol producers to qualify for tax credits for sustainable aviation fuel, that's SAF, according to sources, though it will still leave them a pathway to the subsidies if they can partner with corn growers that use sustainable farming practices. That's interesting. The move also aims to incentivize climate-smart farming practices such as no-till, cover crops, yada yada, Reuters noted politically the plan would be a, quote, middle ground for the administration between environmentalists and the ethanol industry. A White House spokesperson told Reuters no final decision has been made on the climate model and that, quote, speculation about determinations are premature. A couple of things that I see in here. Um, let me go back to this. It will still leave ethanol producers a pathway to, to subsidies if they can partner with corn growers who are also using sustainable farm practices. This feels like um, a way to sort of corral the farmers in here to some of these sustainable farming practices, which I'm not saying we push against, but to, to bring them in so that crops grown can be used for this, for ethanol and then uh, for sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, it's an interesting little circle that they're proposing there. And then, of course, you know, Reuters noted the plan would be a middle ground for the administration between environmentalists and the uh, and the ethanol industry. And we've also got big oil sort of swirling in there, too. Um, to me, and I've heard other people say it this morning, in fact, that middle ground really just makes no one happy. 
So I, I, I'm not sure how far this gets. If it, if it looks like it's going to be a thing, we'll, we'll definitely get somebody on to talk about it. Um, in other news, Congress is on an extended President's Day holiday recess, even though it has not yet finished its work. Fiscal year 2024 funding bills remain undone. The Senate is out until Feb 26. The House will come back on Feb 28. The current continuing resolutions for fiscal year March 2020, or for fiscal year 2024, March 1 for 20% of the government. That includes USDA. And then there's another deadline on March 8 for the remaining 80% of the government. While some top GOP House leaders say there will not be another continuing resolutions, others not so sure. Uh, lingering issues, of course, include border protection, aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, among a bevy of topics. The new farm bill still looks like it's going uh, backward, not forward, although we did have an interesting comment uh, from uh, from Mr. Scott from Georgia, I believe it was, this morning on you know how how the cost of living is maybe impacting how much snap spending may be required in the uh, the upcoming farm bill uh, the indian government offered guaranteed support prices for pulses corn and cotton in a bid to break a deadlock with protesting farmers the country's trade minister said who added the government proposed five year contracts for minimum support prices to farmers who diversify their crops uh, the farmers we've talked about the farmer protests in brussels france uh, all over Europe, um, kind of started in the Netherlands, it seems like. India is having problems of its own there with the farmers, and now the, one of their solutions is that proposed five-year contract for minimum support prices. Um, but, again, that comes with a caveat to farmers who diversify their crops um, there in India. Just a couple of more quick things before I cut you loose. Uh, during the Lunar New Year holiday, Chinese travel and spending surpassed pre-pandemic levels indicating a positive trend in consumption. Approximately 474 million tourist trips were taken across the country during the festival, marking a 19% increase compared to the same period in 2019. Moreover, tourism expenditure during the holiday rose by almost 8% compared to the expenditure recorded in 2019. So what they're saying is during this most recent Lunar New Year holiday, which they've wrapped up now, uh, Chinese travelers not only traveled more, a 19% increase compared to uh, 2019, but also spent more uh, wherever they might have been. Now, did they spend more because it just cost more? Is that an inflationary thing? Or were they spending more because they felt like they had more money to spend? That, uh, that detail they seem to have left out of this paragraph. The People's Bank of China slashed the five-year loan prime rate, the reference rate for mortgages, by 25 basis points to 3.95%. That's the first cut since June 2023. And the largest since it was introduced in 2019, China's major state-owned banks sold dollars, three people with knowledge of the matter said, in an attempt to slow weakness in the yuan in the wake of the deep cut to the benchmark mortgage rate. And finally here, the electric vehicle market in California after years of rapid growth is showing signs of slowdown due to various factors such as high vehicle prices, unreliable charging networks, and potential consumer fatigue, particularly toward Tesla and its CEO Elon Musk, according to an article in the Los Angeles Times. Well, come back and join us this afternoon, won't you? Uh, I'll have Mark Holbrook from uh, the Andersons. Uh, thank you to all of my guests this morning. Uh, really had a blast. Dr. Michael Cordonier, Brett Waltz from Bam WX, and of course, Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. Uh, we'll be covering the markets. We're 
we're going to hit it all. Mark Hobrock from the Andersons. So for uh, Big Apple Joe and me, Davis Michelson, thanks for tuning in to Agritalk this morning. Back live at 206 Central this afternoon.